where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. I always laugh when I hear that intro. That's my co-producer, the one and only Ryan Treasure, VP of everything I call him at World Talk Radio. Hello. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have some quotes, starting out with one from tech2hack.com. That gives you a clue what we're talking about. Listen up. This is funny and interesting and important. To become a hacker, you need skills a strong presence of mind, and whatnot. But before that, all you need is an inspiration with a pinch of motivation. Oh, that's a wide-open statement. Let me read a quote here from Emmanuel Goldstein from his Dear Hacker, Letters to the Editor of 2600. What hackers do is figure out technology and experiment with it in ways many people never imagined. They also have a strong desire to share this information with others. And another quote, most hackers are young. Hmm, because young people tend to be adaptable. As long as you remain adaptable, remain adaptable. You could always be a good hacker. No, we're not telling you to go out and be a hacker. We're talking about how to out-hack the hackers. Here's another quote. Human stupidity. That's why hackers always win. And I found this on Twitter this morning. Smart Home Network Solution from 2018 to 2019 showed a 180% increase in brute force login attempts. And smart home devices are notoriously vulnerable. So question on the table today. Huge question. Will the good actors, I use that word advisedly, will the good actors ever catch up to the hackers. We have an extraordinarily smart, savvy, and interesting panel. We have George Reedus at TF7 Radio. That's Task Force 7. Welcome to George. We have Eric Crone. He's back from a recent show we did about pathetic passwords or other passwords at no K-N-O-W-B-E-4, no before. Mike Palma, De Palma is back from Datto and Alex Reed at Green Cloud Technologies for their take on Get Smart, the future of out-hacking the hackers and Alex Reed, I have a special thank you for promoting the show today. I appreciate that. Okay, so let's go around the table and see who is who. George Reedus, welcome, and why don't you introduce yourself, please? Great. Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, my name is George Reedus. I, uh, I'm the host, host of TF7 Radio. Uh, it's actually right here on the Voice America uh, broadcast. You can find it right here on the Voice America business station, also tf7radio.com. And it's a cybersecurity show. But before that, I was a uh, I was a Secret Service agent with the United States Secret Service. as a co-founder of the Electronic Crimes Task Force in Newark, which now partners with the New York Task Force, one of the biggest electronic crimes task forces in the world. Uh, when I was there, we had a, a huge case called Operation Firewall. We took down the, the largest organized crime group in the world called Shadow Crew. And we mm. actually wrote the first Title III wiretap in our internet-facing computer network in the United States history. Very cool. Then after that, I was a managing director and partner with J.P. Morgan Chase and their information security department. I was the uh, ran operations there for a while. I was also the global head of investigative services and the CISO of the global security investigations department for a while as well. And then after that, I, I did about four years with with Citibank, where I was the chief administrative officer uh, in their information security department. And now I host the show. So thanks for having me on, Bonnie. Well, delighted to hear your voice again, George. And I have to tell you. Uh, 
you're you're the man as far as this goes and far as as far as doing it being in the trenches and doing this quick question for you before we move around the table george is it possible to outhack the hackers are we making any progress yes or no well, I think it's you know I think it's it's less about uh, out hacking the hackers and more about making it really really difficult for them to do their business and not making you a victim, right? Making you making you the hardest target that you possibly can because they're going to go out there they're going to find vulnerabilities in the space. Not everyone is going to be secure, and if you do some some things and we'll talk about them on the show, I'm sure. If you do some of the things that we're going to talk about, then you will make it more difficult, more expensive for them, and not worth their time, and they'll move on to the next easy target. So obviously there's a lot of emerging technologies that we're going to get into, and we'll talk about that as well. But I don't think it's about out hacking the hackers as much as it is making you less of a target, decreasing your attack surface, and just making it harder for them to, to, to accomplish their job. Thank you. I'm going to change the title of this episode to Outsmarting the Hackers. Is that better, George? I'm okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) We're very flexible here on TechRev. It's fine. Thank you. Let's move around the table. Eric, Eric Crone, welcome back. Eric, please introduce yourself in case there's somebody around the world who doesn't know who you are. Go ahead, Eric Crone. Hey, Bonnie. Thanks again for having me. This is fantastic. Um, My name is Eric Crone. I work with uh, Nobifor, as you mentioned before. Uh, My background is very much in the IT and security space. I was the... uh, security manager for the second regional cyber center western hemisphere a u.s army organization uh, that dealt with quite a few things um i've been in the industry in, in you know various different places i've been in medical i've been in manufacturing um, i was a technical services manager at what's called an msp or managed service provider in other words these people that you hire to take care of your it stuff i've uh, been seeing this kind of stuff going on for for a long time uh, with respect to these hacking uh, issues. Now, uh, I have been kind of in the hacker world for uh, quite a few years myself. Um, personally, I am I am a hardware hacker, right? I'm the kind of guy that gets out there and uh, <laughs> my Christmas lights are synchronized to a computer and sound and, you know, all that kind of good stuff. There are lots of different types of hackers out there. And uh, I think as, as we get into this show, a lot of times – the term hacker is used to describe what I prefer to call cyber criminals because not all hackers are actually criminals. Many of them are just people that, um, you know, want to get things to do things that they weren't originally designed to do. So I, I tend to be very uh, focused on that difference right there as well. Thank you. I appreciate that. And another person who is in the trenches, what's your take on our topic? I've just changed the topic. Can we call it the future of outsmarting the bad actor hackers? How's that? I, I, I keep changing it. We'll, we'll end up with a good title for this episode by the time we're done. Can't wait to hear what the, what do you think, Eric? Um, you know what? I, I think that um, we we very much play a whack-a-mole game here, you know, where um, bad things happen, good things happen. And I think in in large ways, we actually already do keep up with them a lot. And I say this because the defenders out there, they're what we call the blue teams most often. Uh, these folks are defending against this stuff constantly, and they're stopping this stuff constantly. The problem is that one out of 100 times they don't, it ends up on the front page of the papers, right? So it looks like we're losing more than we are. Um, I think that we, you know, we're still playing a bit of catch up on it, but it's always going to be these things where they come up with new ideas and, and we defend against it. Sometimes we come up with things before their attacks happen and we've already defended against it. Now, those mm-hmm. don't hit the news, but I, I think we're actually doing okay. Is there room for improvement? Absolutely. Um, is it still a huge problem? Oh, absolutely. Uh, 
but it's not as bad, I think, as a lot of people think it is. I heard some optimism in there. We like that. I'm almost smiling about this. Thank you very much, Eric. Welcome back. Mike DePalma, you're up next. Just in case somebody doesn't remember who you are, you were just on a few weeks ago with us. What do you do? What's your passion for this topic? Mike DePalma, welcome. Thank you very much. So I am the Senior Channel Development Manager for Datos. We are a backup disaster recovery company. Uh, in my role, uh, I'm not part of the sales team. I travel all around the world, really, uh, doing seminars, sitting on panels. I've, I've been fortunate enough to sit on some panels with folks from Department of Homeland Security, FBI, Secret Service, a lot of state organizations that have, uh, that have popped up that are out there trying to educate folks. This has been the hot topic for the last four or five years that I've been doing this. So um, it is still a topic that will fill the room. And, you know, a lot of times now we're moving over to the ransomware piece. So, again, the hacker uh, point that Eric made is, is very valid. Not all the hackers are criminals, and not all the hackers are actually stealing data. A lot of these times they're just encrypting it, saying, hey, pay me some money and I'll give it back to you. So there's so many layers to this. So it's an interesting topic because you're never finished with it, right? Every day there's something new. So it's, it's really one of those things that 10 years from now we'll still be talking about it. There'll be new things out there, and so it is something uh, – that's scary, but also extremely interesting as well. I like that scary, but extremely interesting. Thank you. Are we making progress, Mike? You said it, it's, well, is it getting worse? Is it getting better? Are we catching up? What's your over, overall thought? Uh, well, I think it's not something that we could ever say we, we win, because they're always going to continue okay. to attack. But I think Eric's point was very, very valid in that um, we are keeping pace, and every single business is being attacked. I get that question all the time. What are the chances I get attacked? 100%. You're getting attacked. It's just whether your tools um, are, are providing that, that barrier and help, helping people uh, fight against it. So I think we are keeping pace. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Let's move around the table. Alex Reed, you've been so patient. Alex, please introduce yourself and tell us what's your passion for the topic and what do you think? Are we making progress, headway, inch by inch, step by step, swim by swim? What do you think? Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me back. Um, so I, I'm uh, the technical writer on the product management team at Green Cloud Technologies. Uh, we are a cloud hosting provider out of Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, I've been doing IT things for pretty much my entire life, uh, and I've been security-minded, or uh, I guess some people call it paranoid for a lot of, a lot of that. Um, and so my, my role at my company is to maintain our knowledge base and to kind of translate our internal documentation into something that our partners can actually use uh, in their day-to-day operations. So uh, for, for me personally, you know, I, my background is in uh, computer engineering, which is uh, hardware-based. So I got to see firsthand a lot of very innovative uh, hacking things, both in the lab at college and just going around to, to different businesses and seeing what people are trying to cook up. So I, you know, I, I got to see a lot of stuff that was very surprising to me and, and uh, the ways that people are attacking. And what that imprinted on me is that, you know, hackers are always going to be coming up with new things that completely subvert whatever the designer intended for that piece of uh, gear to do, whether it's hardware, software, a computer, a noisemaker, a telephone, you know, pretty much anything. Someone's going to find a way to use it uh, to, to try to do something different from its intention. Uh, so as far as progress goes, you know, I don't even know that there's a way to make progress against something like that. Um, mm. I think that the most we can do is what a lot of these guys are talking about is kind of try to get the good guys on our side. 
there you go. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Great to have you reintroduce yourselves. Now we're going to quickly go around the table to my listeners. I've asked each panelist to send me a quote from a movie, a book, a song, a person famous, not so famous, and I'm going to ask them to spend about two minutes telling me how the quote relates to the topic. I'll read a little background on the quote. I'll try to keep it brief, and then we'll see what they have to say. So George Ritas has sent us a quote from The Godfather, 1972 film, and the quote is actually from Al Pacino's character, Vito Corleone's son, Michael Corleone, and the quote is, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. I think that was a Brando impersonation. I'm sorry about that, George. Can you say it the way Pacino said it? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. But I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. There you go. Good. <laughs> we New Yorkers yeah, have to stick together, right? <laughs> Good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was used by several different uh, uh, characters in the movie, and it's a, it's a pretty uh, popular statement. Everybody kind of knows it. I think it relates to negotiations in life. Right. And so yep. during these times in the movie, they were negotiating certain deals. And I think what it refers to really is leverage. And you have to have leverage. Essentially, you can pose your will on someone if you have the right leverage. And unfortunately, in the movie, the leverage was threats of violence. Uh, if the movie producer didn't give Johnny the part in the movie, you want all kinds of things. Right. We all know what happened with him. But there are negotiations every day in business and in cybersecurity as well. And I'm going to talk a little bit about nation state hackers. And so some of the biggest negotiations in the world right now are going on with the U.S. and China trade negotiations. And good mm -hmm. CISOs know about geopolitics and they know how it affects their business. And let's be honest, this is about more than just trade. It's about trade equality, sure, but it's also about devaluing currency. It's about stealing billions of dollars of intellectual property every year, year after year after year, uh, from the United States, uh, using the cyber medium, using cyber attacks against U.S. companies and universities and military institutions to do it. And it's about the Chinese government engaging in this great power competition, right? The system, uh, systemic asymmetric hybrid warfare that they've been committing against the United States, always operating in that gray zone, right? And always committing uh, this economic espionage and IP theft on a grand scale, right? They want to gain this competitive advantage in both their commercial and military marketplaces. They steal the IP. They give it to their commercial market for that competitive advantage. It's a war in the United States that no one, no, Americans, don't know they've been fighting for the last 15 years, right? So right now, this administration is sort of stepping up. They imposed $360 billion in tariffs aimed at sort of evening the playing field on at least the trade arena, tilting the economic relationship to the United States' advantage because, quite frankly, we had the leverage, right? We made them an offer they couldn't refuse. We could outlast the Chinese in a trade war before the coronavirus pandemic hit. The Chinese were losing billions of dollars from the financial pressure imposed by the United States. Billions of dollars. Right? So the United States economy has never been better. So essentially the United States has made the Chinese an offer they can't refuse through economic consequences and sort of forcing them into making a deal that is more fair puts the United States in the position to slow the progress of a communist nation who was quietly focused, I think, on the destruction of this country for many years. And if we have to, we could always go back to those trade negotiations so they don't stop hacking. You know? So let's see. You know, I think we could try to slow it down. But I don't think they're going to stop. But, you know, we could try to, you know, at least slow it down, slow the theft, the, uh, theft of IP uh, across all the, uh, the, the verticals. So, uh, Thank you very much, Eric. Thank you very much, George. Interesting. Thank you. Let's go on to Eric Crone's quote. And he sent a quote from Elizabeth Gaskell, the author of North and South, a social novel published in 1854. Uh, and she also wrote Wives and Daughters and Cranford. North and South uses a protagonist from southern England, to present and comment on the perspectives of mill owners and workers in an industrialized city, industrializing city. And the quote is, 
but the future must be met, however stern and iron it be. Ooh, that's interesting. Eric, how'd you find this one? You know what? I, I was just looking along, and I saw that once, and I was like, wow, this is, this is a very powerful statement. And, and, you know, it made me think a lot about, where, you know, the way that things work, right? The future is going to come whether we like it or not, and we can't just give up, right? We, we have to meet it. And this really, really ties into what we're talking about here. The hacking, the, the attacking that's going to happen by these cyber criminals is going to continue to happen. We just know it is. We can't give up. We can't quit. That's not even an option, right? So we have to remember this. We have to kind of steal ourselves for it. And we have to put our heads down and go after it. And, you know, again, I want to give kudos to a lot of the defenders out there that never get a pat on the back, that are working so hard day in, day out. They don't get the, uh, you know, the notoriety that some of these, even the, the good guy hackers, right, the white mm-hmm. hat folks that are out there doing these hacks um, to try to secure things, they get all this like rock star notoriety when the defenders tend to just show up for work the next day, put their heads down and go to work. And I, I've been in those trenches for so long. I have so much respect for those people. And this is kind of a mantra that goes with that. We know it's not going to be easy. We know when we show up for work, there's every chance that something is going to go horribly, horribly wrong. It happens to us, right? Um, but we've got to continue to do it, right? And, and I think that this really struck a chord with me when it comes to this for that reason right there. It's not going to get easier. It's just not. It's never going to stop. We're going to need these people fighting this fight. And regardless of how tough it gets, we just can't walk away and give up. Thank you very much. We can't give up. I like that closing part. Thank you very much, Eric. Mike DePama, send us a quote from Walt Disney. I always want to say Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse. American entrepreneur, animator, voice actor. I didn't know he was a voice actor and film producer. And Walt Disney holds the record of the most Academy Awards earned by any individual. He won 22 Oscars from 59 nominations. Pretty good batting average. And here's the quote. We love this one, Mike. The way to get started is to quit talking and begin doing Mike DePama, how does this relate to our topic, please? Yeah, you know, I, I used the same quote when we were talking about uh, password security, and I think it, it definitely applies to this as well, because, uh, you know, you'll listen to this podcast, and you'll, you know, maybe be very interested and Google some things, and then the idea is, all right, what happens a month later? Are you still being as diligent um, in, in the way that you're protecting yourselves and your data and your system as you were after you listened to this? That kind of goes back to my original uh, quote about, you know, it is an interesting topic. So in order to combat these guys, yes, you have to have all these securities in place, but you have to have a general interest in it so that it's top of mind going forward, so that when you're having conversations within your office with your coworkers, they're aware of what they need to be looking out for as we get into spear, you know, social engineers, spear phishing, and all those things. So, yeah, it's easy to talk about it, but are you going to implement these things starting tomorrow and moving forward? As Yoda says, there is no try. Right? Am I right about that, Mike? That'll be my quote next time. <laughs> I'm a, a font of quotes. Interesting. Love. My favorite today, favorite still for, for many of my Game Changers radio shows, if people don't come up with a quote, I say the one that really resonates today is from David Bowie's Changes. Ch-ch-ch-change, turn and face the strain. I thought it was I thought it was turn and face the strange, which I like better, but it's turn and face the strain, and that's what we're all living through right now. Thank you so much. Alex Reed has sent us a quote from Surin Kirk. Guard from fear and trembling. I'm not going to try 
and read the original Danish title, Alex. I just won't do it justice. I can read a lot of languages, but this won't work. Fear and Trembling is a philosophical work by Soren Kierkegaard, published in 1843 under the pseudonym Johannes de Silentio, John of the Silence. And here is the quote. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Alex, how'd you pick this one? Sure. So I'm a, I'm a huge nerd. Uh, so I've, I've read a lot of those older books. Uh, and Kierkegaard is, is a very talented writer and he has a way with words and he has a way with putting things that are very complicated ideas into relatively simple language. And I like this one because when you look at, you know, especially security, but really anything, we can only understand what we've experienced in the past. We can only analyze that. We can't analyze what happens in the future, but we can, we can only act right now based on what we understand. So when we look at things like security and hacking, uh, we, can, we can only plan based on what we've experienced. We can project out, we can imagine what's going to happen, but the only hard data we have is what's happened in the past. And that's what uh, hackers and people who are unethical about it take advantage of, is they, they are able to find holes in what we've experienced in the past so that we can't anticipate what they're about to do in the future. And it's that constant struggle that we have to fight against. Uh, which is much more pessimistic than a lot of the other quotes that I've heard, but um, I think it's very—I think it's very realistic, and I think it's very—it's—it's—it's uh, it's very elegant the way he puts it. It is. Thank you. And I have a question for the panel. I'm just going to go around quickly just before we get to a predictions. A yes or no. I read a statement from Emmanuel Goldstein's Dear Hacker letters to the editor of 2600. And let me read this and see if any of you agree with this or, or disagree. Just a, a yes or no is all I want. The quote is, most hackers are young because young people tend to be adaptable. As long as you remain adaptable, you can always be a good hacker. George Redis, yes or no. Agree or disagree? Uh, I think they're young, but not not necessarily because they're adoptable. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody can be a bad actor, hacker. Okay, Eric Crone, agree or disagree? <laughs> I agree with that. Okay, Mike DePava, yes or no? I am in the agree column as well. Ooh, Alex Reed, what do you think? I, I'll go with disagree. I think there's a correlation causation thing going on there. Thank you very much. Okay, I'll put that one to bed. Let's start tackling our predictions. I'm going to read the first prediction from each of you as long as they don't overlap. If they do, I'll jump down in your list. And why don't you take about two minutes to explain what this means. If when I get to you and read one of your predictions, you want to comment on what somebody else said, that's fine. Just let me go around the table. George Reed's first prediction, quantum computing will change the world. How does this relate to bad actor hackers? George. Well... Encryption has a lot to do with security, and there have been articles out there stating that quantum computing is going to change the world, and there's other people are saying that's ridiculous, it's not going to happen, that's all nonsense, and it's so far off even if it does, and that's probably true. It's not going to happen tomorrow or in the next few years. Some people are saying it's going to even 10 years out, but I think this is going to change, and I think quantum supercomputers are really going to fundamentally change society, not only not only the security, but almost everything we do. Small example, there was a uh, uh, an article last year in a bunch of newspapers where Google was reporting and claiming that they achieved this quantum supremacy, right? And that means it was basically quantum supremacy is another word for solving problems with quantum computers that normal computers can't do right now. And many see this as this big milestone in the development of quantum computers. And one of the things that's going to save us in terms of time is that capitalism is at, stake, is at play here, right? People are competing against each other. IBM is competing against Google and other companies you know, to find this quantum supremacy. 
they made a really big deal about it. The announcement came out. Uh, it was uh, it was published in a, a NASA website before it was actually being pulled off the website. The Financial Times retrieved the copy of it and basically said the paper said to their knowledge, this experiment launched the first computation that can only be performed on a quantum processor. Now, the Google title of the paper, Quantum Supremacy Using a Programmable Superconducting Process. They were basically claiming victory. Well, IBM flipped out, uh, and I'll tell you why. Basically, they said that they could, Google said that they could solve this calculation, proving the randomness of numbers produced by a random number generator. So think of, just think of a really, really complicated equation. They did it in three minutes and 20 seconds. That would normally take the world's fastest traditional computer 10,000 years, right? So think about mm. that. So from 10,000 years to three minutes, right? So obviously, this really effectively means that the calculation can't be formed by any traditional uh, computer. Um, I, IBM said, uh, uh, no way, we have a computer that does that in two and a half days. But even so, two and a half days to three minutes and 20 seconds is still amazingly fast. Now, it, it has impacts everywhere, national security, cybersecurity, I mean, the spread of this computational power could really affect the free world. It's breathtaking when you think about it. The Chinese have poured $10 billion into it. They know the importance of it, banking, business, healthcare, everything that we do, the financial markets, uh, state secrets even, the way we communicate, almost everything we do is going to be affected by it. But it's not all doom and gloom, right? It's so many positive things that can come out of a quantum supercomputer. I mean, NASA has even offered up its supercomputers to be used by scientists to discover treatments and vaccines for COVID-19, and we can basically rapidly speed up science for initiatives of drug discovery, uh, materials. uh, I mean, anything about the battery design can be done. So it's good and the bad, but it's definitely, when it happens, it's definitely going to change cybersecurity, how we defend ourselves, and the capabilities uh, that the hackers have as well. So um, if they're able to access this uh, type of technology, which I think is questionable. Thank you, George. Very interesting. stuff on the future. Big stuff, big topic. Let's go to prediction number one from Eric Crone. And Eric says, organizations will finally stop using password reset questions. All I can say is, oh, we can only hope. Go ahead, Eric. What does this mean as far as your prediction goes? Right. Kind of interesting that I use this one, right? But here's Mm -hmm. the thing. Most modern hacking that we see today Uh, And yes, George is right. I mean, there's nation states involved and things like that. That is the key stuff. But most of the stuff that we see today is commodity type stuff. It's people using tools and scripts already written. Um, They're not really hackers. Most of these people that are actually causing a lot of the turmoil that's out there. They're using tools that are done for them. They're using things like that. And they're using tricks like this like using password reset questions to be able to get into things. If we remember back to, you know, Sarah Palin's infamous thing where they got into her Yahoo email account because mm-hmm. she had password reset questions like, uh, you know, the name of your high school, which happened to be in a small Alaska town and um, the mascot of your high school in that small Alaska town, right? These are the things that are being done most often. These simplistic types of attacks happening more and more and and by all these people getting into the game that are causing us the problems, frankly. And I want to see organizations stop using things like this. These are tools that people can use to get into things, but also just all of the other basic low-hanging type fruit that we seem to be tripping up on so often. And until we can get ahead of that um, and start thinking outside the box, you know, we're not going to uh, get past these commodity uh, cyber criminals, if you will. 
Um, Eric? And, you know, I, I do want to speak. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, what's, what's the solution if we don't have password reset? Yeah, okay. quit? What's the solution? Just a new password every time? Uh, no, I mean, uh, frankly, I think that there's there's definitely other ways to reset passwords, right? Um, other than the reset questions. Okay. Uh, the reset questions themselves are flawed, and we saw different ways that this sort of thing was used by the IRS. Uh, people were able to pull out information from the IRS to actually get tax documents. This lasted for a year or two, and then they were able to use the information that they got out of that to turn around and, and be able to file taxes for the next year and, and do, there were, there's all kinds of things that happen with these silly little pick some questions, right? Um, I'm glad to see that I don't see it as often as I did before because that's being abused, but it's still out there. And things like that are still out there. Now, we also use, you know, email accounts to reset uh, uh, passwords and things like that, which is why email accounts are such a hot topic for bad guys to get into, because that's the pivot mm -hmm. point to, to doing that. Sure. Again, these are very simplistic, not super hacker attacks, really. Um, they're just getting into an email account and resetting passwords, right? How complex is that, really? Um, it's not. And so um, I, I think until we can get ahead of just some of these sorts of things, we're going to continue to to fight the battle. Um, but it's it's a lot of simple stuff that we can fix, honestly. Thank you. And I will tell all of you, I'm getting daily notes today from someone somewhere in the world telling me that my Citibank bank account has been shut down because, uh, I don't know, it's been hacked or bad password or something. I haven't been a Citibank customer for at least 10 years, so I just delete them, but it's frankly getting annoying. So, uh, Mike DePama, I'm looking at your prediction number one. This is interesting. Personal medical devices will be targeted. I'm going to finish that sentence with by the bad actor hacker. Mike, talk to me. Yeah, this one's a scary one. Um, you bet. It's real. Uh, yep. Yeah, I mean, you look at some of these medical devices, even pacemakers, right? You can VPN in, uh, you know, into a medical office, and the specialist can take a look at it. Insulin, insulin levels are being monitored as well. Uh, personally, my daughter, my oldest daughter, was born deaf. She's got uh, cochlear implants. They do what's called mapping, where she has to go every three months over to NYU, and they map, and they check all the electrodes. And then now she's being homeschooled, obviously, because everybody's quarantined mm -hmm. here. And there's a special device where the teacher actually talks directly to her. Mm. Now, think about all of these things can be hacked, right? Hackers can get into anything. So you think about things like people holding people for ransom, right? It used to be you, you hold a gun up, you, you lock them in a room, and you call their family and say, pay me a million dollars. What if they were able to hold your medical devices hostage? What if somebody's able to say, hey, I've hacked into your father's pacemaker, how much money will you pay yeah. for me yeah. to, to, to not do anything? I mean, think about that. So this is something that's scary. Hopefully it doesn't happen, but there's nothing to say it won't happen. Um, so when you look at some of these things, it's not always just about uh, extracting you know, personal information or, or proprietary information they're going to use. It's about figuring out how, how to make money off of all these different hacking attacks bad actor attacks. I will use the, the phrase from mm -hmm. this podcast. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's scary stuff. And, and there's nothing to prevent that from, from really happening. Um, it's just when the criminals figure it out. 
This is the stuff that crime novels looking forward into the future are made of or going to be about, Mike DePama. You're absolutely right. Need to be aware. And the downside is if you don't have telemedicine, if you don't have ways for remote patients to be treated by their medical professionals, then we have taken a step backwards on healthcare. But by taking a step forward, we add to our vulnerabilities. Thank you very much. Great point there. Alex Reed, I'm looking at your prediction number one. This is interesting. You say hardware hacks will become more common as software security improves. Is this an oxymoron, Mr. Reed? Tell me more, please. Sure. So this is based around the idea that, you know, hackers and and bad actors in general are are going to take the path of least resistance. And we see that by, you know, the way way that uh, hackers enumerate security uh, vulnerabilities when they get into an environment, they'll go in and they'll figure out exactly where the weaknesses are uh, once they're in, and they'll just use the easiest one uh, to exploit whatever they can. So as software security improves, you know, as we patch up these holes in software, the next logical step is going to be to start exploiting the hardware because you'll see a lot of companies now with hardware that's 10, 20, sometimes 30 years old uh, still in business-critical applications. And this hardware, you know, these vulnerabilities are anything from uh, I can clip onto this wire and rip all the data that's going through it to uh, there's a very simple interface that I can plug this device into and then leave. And we see a lot of times with these uh, social engineering tests, if you put on a uh, yellow vest and a hard hat and you go up to anybody in a company and say, I need to get into this room, they'll just let you in. You can get wherever you need to go if you look like you need to be there. And once you have physical access to the environment, all it takes is 15 seconds for you to pull a device out of your pocket, clip it to something, and then leave. And then you have full access to whatever environment you're trying to attack. And as software uh, security improves and gets more sophisticated and you prevent more and more software exploits from happening, uh, the hardware will eventually become the path of least resistance, and especially that old, outdated hardware. So that's why having up-to-date hardware, having patched firmware, uh, and getting, you know, sticking to the life cycle from the uh, manufacturer is so critical. Thank you very much. Very interesting. First round of predictions. Let's go around the table another time. George Redis, I'm looking at your notes. I'm going to combine number two and number four for you, George, in the interest of time. I think these might go together. Number two, you say passwords as a means of authentication will go away. And then you say prediction number four, in the short term, password managers will be a requirement. George, can you address both of those, please? Sure. So I think, you know, obviously one of the themes of the episode is how the compromise of passwords, whether we're going through phishing attacks or spear phishing attacks, social engineering, you know, how it's going to account for the overwhelming percentage of successful cyber attacks against consumers and businesses, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this password problem is a major issue. And in general, just one big pain in the butt, in my opinion. I mean, first we started out, we were, t- we were just talking about password resets. Now we're talking about what we were doing every 90 days. We were chasing a password for a while, and then we got rid of that because that really wasn't working. And that just created a whole new set of problems. I think the whole password debacle is going to go away over the next few years. And I think people already use uh, you know, their smartphones to log into some applications on their mobile devices using the same fingerprint that they do to, to get onto their smartphone. And this is going to become more and more prevalent over time. I think we're going to be able to use facial recognition, too, as it also coming into play here as an authentication medium. But there are risks associated with these methods of authentication as well because biometric information can be stolen just like a password can. So in order to get rid of passwords forever, 
I think we're going to have to move to authentication models that use several factors uh, to authenticate folks into the applications that they're using. We've got to combine things like, you know, what you are, what you have, and what you know, like maybe the contours of your face with something like, you know, a security key, and then maybe combining that with, you know, your geolocation, you know, maybe using GPS or the way you type into a, uh, a smartphone even. Those things can be combined. We'll probably move to that to get rid of them. But in the meantime, password managers are going to become more prevalent because passwords as an authentication tool is just a nightmare. I think we were talking before uh, and before the show, the average person has 85 different passwords to keep track mm-hmm. of. I think that's so much more, Bonnie. I think it really is a lot more than 85. I mean, I have yep. hundreds uh, of passwords. You really can't do anything without getting on a password. Well, you want to go to the gym, order medicine, order pizza, book a hotel. Right. I mean, it's crazy. So... In order to organize your life, passwords, passphrases, pins, URLs, you're really going to have to use a password manager. And, and are they safe? They're not 100% safe, but they're better than not using a password manager. There you go. Thank you very much. Good points there. Eric Crone, I'm looking at prediction number two. Very similar to what George just talked about. Password managers will become as popular as antivirus. So I'm going to move to your number three prediction. Eric, and you say there will be a major biometrics breath near the middle of this decade that will make us rethink using biometrics as an authenticator. Ooh, that's interesting. Talk to me, Eric. Yeah, that's really supposed to be breach, and and breach. here's where you know, okay. yeah, uh, biometric <laughs> breach. Sorry, that was a typo on my part, right? It's okay. Um, uh, you know, listening to George, I think we have a lot of of ideas in common on this, uh, frankly. Uh, but I don't think passwords are the problems. I think that managing the passwords are a problem. I mean, if you don't have a reused password, it's very hard to get through. Um, but I will say this: people have turned to biometrics, and he mentioned the thumbprint on the phone, and he kind of touched on it a little bit biometrics essentially end up as ones and zeros on computers, okay? And that information can be stolen. The problem with biometrics is if your face is stolen, how do you fix that? How do you reset (laughs) your face or how do you reset your thumbprint or, you know, you only got 10 fingers to move on to before you're taking your shoe off trying to get in a building, putting your toe on the thing, right? The the biometrics open a whole nother... um, uh, you know, problem with this. And uh, I do believe that multi-factor will come into play in some of these things. And multi-factor means, as George kind of mentioned, something you have, something you know. Um, and, and so what I've seen, and, and very, very few places have I seen true multi-multi-factor put in place, right? I've seen two-factor. But to give you an idea, some of the places I had to go in uh, when I was with the Army we had what was called a common access card, and it has a certificate on it. And I would put this into a reader, and I would have to touch a pin, num- uh, put in a pin number to unlock a certificate on that. Plus, I had to do a fingerprint. All of these things put together were able to get me into the room. It was not just one of those things. And so that's three different things that we needed: something we had, the card; something we know, the pin number; and something we are, which is my fingerprint. This is where I think for the high security stuff we're going to be going. Um, I said it on the password one we talked about, too. I believe that biometrics are a good way to identify but not authenticate. In other words, I want to prove that I am who I am, plus I need something else to do with it. And I think that there is going to be a biometrics breach that is going to happen, especially as we continue to capture more and more of this facial recognition stuff. You know, if you fly anywhere, 
uh, and you're going overseas, like Delta, I know, does facial recognition, boarding the planes. That stuff's all going in databases somewhere, and we see how often databases are hacked. Eric, you made me think of celebrities who get facelifts who are virtually and visually unrecognizable. I Googled and I found an article in harpersbazaar.com saying 35 celebrities who have admittedly gone under the needle and the knife. And I'm looking at a picture of Britney Spears. She is absolutely unrecognizable. So if you're using biometrics, Eric, and you've had major facial work done, you won't be able to get in that door anyway. You've got to start from scratch and, and recode yourself, right? Eric, just think about it. Great. Nobody would. Yeah, great point. <laughs> I'm sorry. You said, what if somebody steals your face? And I could say, what if somebody, what if you change your face? Interesting. And this is the stuff that, that the Black Ops uh, thriller TV shows. I just finished 72 episodes of Nikita. Yes, I admit that. And that you could see somebody stealing a glass or a cup or something that somebody touched and using it for biometrics entry into a, a coded doorway or a, a piece of equipment. So it makes for very interesting, uh, not fantasy shows, absolutely. Eric, thank you. Very provocative and very interesting. Mike De Palma, let's see. Oh, this is this sounds very scary, Mike. I think that's what you're talking to us about today. You say kids' curiosity in the dark web will be a treasure trove for hackers. I'm shivering on this one. Mike, tell me this isn't all bad, please. All I do is bad stuff for you, but that's all I do. <laughs> Scary stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was touched on before when we went around and, and talked about, uh, you know, the youth and, and why they're getting into hacking. But it also is just curiosity. I mean, you think about, you know, I was born in 1980, so I'm kind of on the bubble of being a millennial, but I'm not. And I always say, like, I didn't have a cell phone until after I got out of college, so I'm definitely not a millennial. Uh, but so... But you think about the folks that have grown up in this. Even my kids now, they're six and eight, and they're just on the on their laptops and on their, their tablets and all the rest. Um, and there will be just that natural curiosity. And somebody in their class will teach them how to get into the dark web, and they're going to go down there and think it's cool and fun because they watch those shows and think, you know, uh, all the rest. But they're going to get down there not knowing at all how easy they could be duped into into giving up information. And... That kind of mm-hmm. leads to another point where what the scary thing is some of these criminals, they've got time to play the long game, and they start stealing identity of a 14-, 15-year-old. They'll just keep stealing as much as possible. They'll get Social Security numbers. They'll get all kinds of different things. And then once they turn 18, well, now, hey, I've got the entire database of this, this individual, probably including uh, you know facial recognition and all the rest. And then they could take that data as an 18-year-old and use it for whatever they want. Um, whether it's whether it's registering to vote, something scary like that, whether it's uh, opening credit cards and doing all the rest. So, um, yeah, I think just the curiosity of it and, and them not knowing all of the threats and just getting caught up in the cool and in scariness of, hey, I'm down in the dark yep. web, this is really cool. Um, it's, just, it's such a, it would be a treasure trove for them. You know, they say, I can steal all of this stuff, hopefully get into some of their parents' information, but if not, I'll wait till they turn 18 and I've got them. You know, so it is, it is scary stuff. Very, very scary. Thank you. I have some other scary comments from some others. You're not alone on that, Mike. Alex Reed, I'm going to talk about a non-scary one. I want to bring this up. Prediction number three. You say social engineering will be a constant. Tell me what this means, please. Sure. So kind of in tandem with that first prediction I had where I was saying uh, hardware hacks are going to become more common, and the reasoning for that is because the path of least resistance. When you're talking about social engineering, 
there's no uh, firewall or firmware patch you can do to, to fix social engineering because it's a flaw in humans. It's a flaw in your the way the way your brain works. It's not a flaw in the design of a piece of hardware or software. So, you know, the the best you can do is education, and you know, a lot of a lot of my job focuses around trying to communicate and educate to our partners. And I can tell you that if you have you know, a hundred percent of your pre- of your information you're trying to communicate to somebody. Most of the time, you're only getting five or ten percent of whatever you say. So, if we if you assume that every person in your company is only picking up five or ten percent of your security presentation or your phishing training, uh, even if you have four trainings a year, quarterly trainings, you know, people are not getting all that information. They're not assimilating everything of what you're communicating to them, and so there's probably going to be a point at which we've done as much education as far as social engineering goes as we can. You know, when hackers are trying to take advantage of somebody, uh, they're exploiting a known uh, faulty reasoning loop that people have. And when you try to educate over that, you know, people are not going to be able to adapt quickly enough. And you're going to reach a point where hackers are just always going to be able to be one step ahead of where you're, where you're, the lowest common denominator is. And as we're all aware, you know, that all you need is one person in an organization being that lowest common denominator in order to open up that organization to a very serious breach. So my prediction is that, you know, because we can't patch people in the same way we can patch hardware or software, social engineering is going to be this whole other thing that we're going to have to deal with in a completely different way from traditional hacking. Thank you very much. I'm going around the table. I think we have time for one or two more. George Redis, I'm just going to ask you for a quick comment. You, Your prediction number three is right on target with what Alex just shared. You say companies will take civil action against employees who get socially engineered. How bad will that be, George? Just quickly. Well, I think they're going to get pretty aggressive about it because they're getting frustrated with the fact that they keep doing all this training and employees uh, keep falling for these scams, um, and they're losing a lot of money. In a lot of cases, when you lose, you know, hundreds and even millions of dollars in some cases, they're not going to recover from some of these employees. Um, and, and, and in some cases in the U.K., these, the, the, the companies were actually going after the employees' houses and, and trying to take their, their homes from them. So I think the frustration is, is pretty high. Uh, right now they're removing uh, email privileges from employees who fail multiple training tests. So if you fail a training test three times, you get three strikes, you actually get your email privileges removed. And if you need email to do your job and you don't have email, well, then you can't do your job. Can you? Um, so I think it's going to get pretty aggressive. Thank you very much. Words of wisdom there. I'm looking down through the predictions. It looks like we've covered most of what everybody has sent, but there's one here from Alex Reed. Alex, let's finish with this before we do the closing in a couple of minutes. You say the Internet of Things is a ticking Time bomb. Alex, explain, please. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> so the Internet, of, the Internet of Things is uh, it's kind of a buzzword right now, especially in, in hardware and computer engineering. Uh, traditionally, the Internet has been made up of real computers uh, with a hard drive and a network card uh, and all these discrete parts. And over the last 10 years or so, uh, this new type of computer, a single board computer, has been becoming more and more common in a lot of different applications. So if you have, you know, a Nest device in your house, for instance, that would be an Internet of Things device because it's this one self-contained unit that has access to the Internet that only really does one thing. 
but then you have this sort of cloud of Internet of Things in your house because if you have a Nest thermostat, you probably also have maybe a security camera, maybe a doorbell. A lot of people have Internet-controlled lighting. And all of these things are individual. They're whole computers. They're not just, you know, a light bulb. They have an IP. They have a MAC address. They have an internal processor. And that means they can be hacked. And a lot of these things aren't getting regular patches. You know, if you have a, an LED light bulb that's connected to the Internet from five years ago, that's probably reached end of life already. The manufacturer has moved on to a new version of that, and whatever vulnerabilities were present in that light bulb when they moved that to end of life are still there because they haven't patched them out yet. And as the Internet of Things keeps moving forward and people have 10, 20, 50, 100 Internet-connected devices in their house, we're just going to see these vulnerabilities multiply, uh, maybe even exponentially over time. So when you look at things like the Internet of Things and you see these big manufacturers having glaring security violations, and not just the way their devices handle wireless connections, but even in the firmware itself or in how the processor is structured, uh, you, you see a lot of vulnerabilities that are spread across a lot of households. Uh, and it's really scary the things that people could do harnessing tens of thousands or millions of devices you know, if every single LED light bulb in the U.S. decided to suddenly start uh, a denial-of-service attack against a major carrier, that's thousands and thousands of devices that are suddenly under the control of, of you know, one hacker through one vulnerability. So that's, I, that's why I would call it a ticking time bomb, is there are a lot of vulnerabilities there that are only going to get worse, and we haven't discovered a lot of them yet. Thank you very much. Great conversation around the table. I think we've covered all of the, the new and unique predictions from all of you. I'm going to give you each 60 seconds. That's all we've got because we've got a packed house today, starting with George Reedus. What's the final comment from you on the future of outhacking or outcracking or outsmarting all of the permutations of this topic today, outsmarting the bad actor hackers? George Reedus, 60 seconds. What do you see? Are we ever going to get there or will it just be a moving target? George Reedus, go first, please. No, I think we're keeping up. I think if we deploy some of the emerging technologies in a smart way and decrease our attack surface uh, and eliminate some of the red tape that goes behind implementation of some of these technologies in our businesses, uh, we will do fine. You have to remember that these organized crime groups are collaborating like Fortune 500 companies without regulatory oversight, without uh, an audit team on their back all the time, and so they're able to move uh, much faster. So this, the, the, the key to staying uh, in pace with the hackers is going to be speed and agility. So that's what we should focus on, and I think you know, we'll be able to at least keep up with them. Thank you. At least keep up with them is a good thing. Thank you. Let's go around to Eric Crone. What do you think? Vision for the future overall, good or bad? Are we making progress? Nope, I do think we're making progress, um, but I do want to kind of recap what we've said today, and I want to point this out. Most of what we've talked about or a lot of what we've talked about has been on the human thing, whether it's passwords and how those are managed or social engineering. I think if we're going to get ahead of these folks and we're going to make a big difference, Focusing on the humans in organizations is absolutely key to getting ahead of this or staying ahead of this or not falling very, very far behind on this. So um, I, I think that that's something we have to keep in mind, focus a little bit less on the technology, more on the people that are, are honestly being targeted. Thank you very much. Mike DePama, what are your words of wisdom? How are we doing? I think we're keeping pace and we're making progress. Unfortunately, the criminals are also making progress as well. So we're keeping pace. Uh, my one suggestion is just don't try to do it on your own. 
Um, there's a lot of resources out there. There's a lot of vendors out there. You know, like Eric mentioned, he used to work for a managed service provider. Um, if you're, if I work with an outside consultant on those things, um, and then continue to learn and continue to listen to podcasts like this and, and read articles, um, because, you know, doing it by yourself is just extremely difficult. So leverage, uh, as many other resources as possible. Thank you very much. Great point. Alex Reed, let's wrap this up with you. We're just about ready to close. So what do you see coming, I like to say, up the road, down the pike, whatever direction you're going? What do you see, Alex? Yeah, so one thing that I said towards the beginning of the show was that one of the important things is going to be to have the right people on your team to try to prevent these breaches. And something that I don't see emphasized enough is that sometimes the the bad guy is the right guy. You know, sometimes the guy who breaks into your infrastructure is the guy who somehow knows the most about it. And I think that keeping ourselves open to the idea of reforming, I guess, what you would call bad actors into good actors Mm -hmm. or gray hat people into white hat people uh, is something that a lot of companies haven't done enough of, don't have a big enough focus on. I think that that's going to be even more important in the coming months, years. Interesting. That reminds me, Alex, of, of companies, insurance companies hiring former art theft, art thieves, right, to tell them how to prevent future art thefts. We've seen all kinds of TV shows about that over the years. How do you, by the way, how do you turn a black hat or a gray hat into a white hat? Is it you offer them money or you say come in from the cold or just quickly, Alex, how do you do that? Well, that depends on the person. You know, some people are black hats because they really want to be black hats. But most people are black hats because they're just curious and they live outside the establishment. So just showing those people that you're willing to reconcile with them and give them a place in a legitimate organization rather than having them live on the outside is just an important first step. Thank you. I I have one minute left for a little more commentary before I close here. George Redis, do you agree with Alex about figure out what their price is to come inside? What do you think? Yeah, well, this is a competition for talent, just like anything else. And I think you know, we have to find where the talent is. We have to give these people an opportunity, right? Um, and I think if you can do that, you could probably flip a lot of these people and, 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 and keep them from going to the dark side. Oh, my. Eric Crone, do you agree with that? Absolutely. I actually uh, know some people that were on the black hat side. Uh, and, uh, you know, once they had an opportunity to use their skills for something that was good, uh, and they saw that opportunity, it really wasn't hard to get them over to the right side. They just didn't know how to do it. Oh, my. Uh, Mike DePama, what do you think? Quickly, real fast. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, motivation. Some people just want to do it for the glory. So if you can show them that, hey, there's a lot of cool accolades you can get being on the good side, <laughs> you could turn some of these people. Could any of you bring me for a panel of four black gray hats turned into white hats for a conversation on the show let's just take that offline but that would be really cool if we could get some former bad actor hackers to talk about why they flipped and what their life is like and, and what their secrets are for the rest of us let's just leave that ryan treasure thank you for re-engaging george Redis for me for this show dawn mcginnis thank you for re-engaging well for originally introducing me to eric crone mike de palma and alex reed ryan treasure 
Great co-producer, thanks for your comments and your interesting voiceover in the beginning. Now, now, now. Aaron Keller, my engineer with the nerves of steel. Yes, he deals with all kinds of things on these live shows. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thanks for tuning in. This has been Technology Revolution, the future of now, now, now. Remember, the future of now didn't happen yet. Anybody tells you the future is already here, they're lying. That's yesterday's future. We're all part of making today's future a better one. Signing off. Have a great day. Be safe. Be smart. Be well. Talk next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Oh